0: Thomas Thomas isn't a—he's not a very well-known character in the Bible. We know of him, uh, but the truth is, we don't really know a lot about him. He's named as an apostle. He's often referred to as Didymus in the Greek, which means twin. Which, for anybody who's simply usually known by their brother or by the relationship with other siblings, you know that that's kind of rough. I grew up Adam Osborne's little brother. I didn't like that so much, but that's the way it went. Thomas isn't recorded speaking in any of the Synoptic Gospels. Throughout Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Thomas is not, no no quotes from Thomas. We hear nothing from him. But Thomas, through that, though the little that we actually do know about him, he has earned the nickname, the Doubter. Doubting Thomas. Thomas the Doubter. Somewhere, something like that. Now, Nobody wants to be called the Doubter. Like, nobody really wants that nickname, right? Like, if somebody just called Derek the Doubter, that's rough. Nobody really wants to be called that. Thomas is only recorded to have spoken three times in Scripture, all of them in the Gospel of John. And if we only had the first three Gospels, Thomas, well, Thomas would be just another name we wouldn't know much about him at all, other than his name and that he followed Jesus. And as the late great Canadian philosopher Gord Downey once said, no one's interested in something you didn't do. It's a good thing John wrote down some accounts of Thomas because the few things that Thomas is captured as saying really helps to give us a lot of insight into who Jesus is. The passage we're going to look at today has influenced the need for and lent a lot of weight to shaping one of the ancient church creeds, the Nicene Creed, which we'll talk about in a minute. And this creed is very is still very incredibly influential in shaping what we know and what we believe about who Jesus is, of course, as well as God and the Holy Spirit. But so some of what Thomas said has helped us give us insight into what the, what the disciples, what the other disciples were probably collectively thinking in certain particular and rather pivotal moments even. And truthfully, I think we can all find this, this that's me moment in something that Thomas said, a question he asked, or even, even a doubt he may have expressed. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the third recorded time that Thomas spoke and we'll also have a look at the first two later on as well. But I'm going to read the entire text. If you could stand with me this morning, we're reading from the Gospel of John, chapter twenty, verses twenty-four. Chapter twenty, verses twenty-four to thirty-one. I'm going to read the entire text for us. But uh, but if, if you'd like to follow along, either in your Bible, your device, or it should be on the sc- it will be on the screen as well. It Says this. Now Thomas. One of the 12, called the twin, there you go again, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you've shown us through your word. So, Lord, I pray that you would be with us, that you would speak to us, whether we are on site or whether we are online. God, I pray that your spirit would move wherever we are, that it would move in our hearts, move in our minds, and that, God, that no one, no one would walk away from today unchanged, not because of anything I said, but because of what you've done. Reveal yourself to us, Father. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. To understand this encounter with Thomas and Jesus just a little bit more, we first must understand the the weight and the absolute importance of the physical resurrection of Jesus. We to some degree, we kind of take this notion for granted in our modern day. It's something that we, especially if we've been around church long enough, we've we've kind of just come to uh, accept that. We know that, we believe that, that's where we go, there's no real question about the fact that Jesus and his body was dead, and then it rose again on the third day. But around the year 318, there was a pastor in Bosalis. It's an area of Alexandria in Egypt. The pastor's name was Arius, Arius of Alexandria, who openly challenged that this word logos at the beginning of John's gospel, yes, it was in fact Jesus who took on flesh, yes, but this word, this logos, Jesus was not eternally God. This was the false teaching. And this also spurred on a belief that Jesus' resurrection was merely spiritual in nature. It has given given rise to um, lots of false teachings. Gnosticism is one of them. Um, But this later would become known as the Arian heresy. You can look this up. It's not hard to find online. But this heresy, this false teaching... As people were working out exactly what they believed about Jesus, trying to formulate exactly what they thought and believed, this led to a massive church council, kind of like a big conference essentially in the city of Nicaea. It was in the year 325 to 326. I think it lasted about eight months. Could you imagine a conference for eight months? I go to three-day conferences and I'm like, I'm bored. But which, this is where, it, throughout, through this council, we get a number of things, a number of documents, but one of them, more specifically, is called the Nicene Creed, and it has outlined in detail what we believe about who Jesus is, not just what he did, but about his person. We know now, obviously, this, uh, this heresy is a false teaching. John's gospel, in fact, paint this perfect picture at the beginning that this word, this logos, takes on flesh, and in fact, is and was God. This, and came as flesh, as the God man, Jesus Christ himself. He's crucified, his body is resurrected, and his disciples, Thomas, is able to touch him. Which kind of brings us back full circle to the story of Thomas now. Thomas was not content that Jesus' resurrection may have simply just been spiritual in nature. It wasn't that Jesus is just his spirit, if you will, rose from the dead, but his body was raised. Thomas wasn't content. He had to touch the holes in his hands. I have to touch the the hole in his side. I have to see this. I have to know for myself that Jesus indeed came back from death. There may have been some doubt in Thomas' mind. It's kind of obvious. But if I had to be really honest with myself, if some of my buddies came in after we just saw somebody crucified and said, hey, guys, he's alive, there might be a little doubt in my mind, too. Maybe that's the skeptic in me, I don't know, but I might, I might be a little doubtful as well. And I think if we were really honest with ourselves, there's a lot of us in this room and online that might say, no, nah, i got to see it. Nah, okay, I, I believe you, but I've got to see it for myself. Thomas had to know. Thomas had to see. Thomas had to feel. He had to know for himself brings us to the reality of the resurrection. Resurrection is about God breaking into creation, breaking the bonds of death to give new life. Resurrection is a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. Jesus, well, Jesus is actually not even the first resurrection we hear or we read about in Scripture. I remember the first time I was sitting in church and I heard a pastor say that, that Jesus is not the first resurrection. I thought, well, yeah, because you know, like Lazarus, and there's a few other people uh, throughout in the New Testament that, that Jesus rose from death. So yeah, of course he's not the first. And then the pastor said, "This, there's even people in the Old Testament who are resurrected." And I went, "Okay, I'm lost." Hang on a second. What? Even more people? First Kings 17. Elijah three times lays across the widow of Zarephath's son, cries out to God, and. The son is raised to life. In 2 Kings 4, Elisha, Elijah's successor, lays across a Shunammite widow's son in much the same manner, and he's raised to life as well. But then this brings us, of course, to a very famous vision that we read about in Scripture as well, a vision that God gives to Ezekiel in chapter 37 of his book, a valley filled with dry bones. Dry bones. Dry bones are Dead and they've been dead for a long time until God says this in verse 9 says come from the four winds o breath and breathe into these slain that they may live god has long been in the business of bringing dead things to life resurrection and just like god asks ezekiel can these bones live Thomas asks a similar question. Can God make Jesus' bones live? Did God make Jesus' bones live again? Andrew Root is quoted as saying this, read it in context, the first line sounds a little funny right now, but in context it makes a lot more sense. Because God is whoever raised Jesus from the dead, transcendence is not something above, but something to come To this world, or in this world. Transcendence breaks into our world. This outside of creation, God, our transcendent God, reveals himself in creation, in and through his Son, Jesus Christ, taking on flesh, but also through the resurrection of people, of Jesus, and someday, someday, all creation. I was watching this conversation one time. It was between an, an atheist and a Christian. And the atheist, atheist proclaimed that, I know I, I can't believe in the Bible. I cannot believe in the Bible because it's just a bunch of made-up stories. Just like the made-up story of Jesus rising from the dead. And the Christian asked, well, what makes you think that that's a made-up story? And they answered, well, because people don't rise from the dead. That doesn't happen. To which the Christians responded with, Yeah, I know. That's why it was kind of a big deal when Jesus rose from the dead. I thought it was hilarious. So we now return... Thanks, Kevin, I heard that little chuckle. So we now return to our person of crisis, Thomas. We get to Thomas's doubt. Thomas, yeah, he has some doubts. He hears the account from his friends that Jesus' body isn't in the tomb anymore, that he is in fact risen This first instance of Jesus revealing himself to his disciple, however, Thomas Thomas isn't there. He's not around. We don't exactly know why, but he's not there. But not surprising, though, because many of the disciples, after Jesus' death, they kind of dispersed, and they went back to their old lives. Some were fishermen and doing whatever they did. They escaped just, just probably just in case, hey, what if the authorities catch on to, I was following this guy around? I don't want the same fate as him. I'm going to go back to catching fish or whatever I was doing. So, yeah, you know what? There was some doubt in Thomas's mind, but wasn't there a little bit of doubt in all the disciples' minds as well? I mean, they heard Jesus' teaching. Didn't they expect this to happen? But instead, they fled. Jesus, or Thomas wasn't sure what to believe when the other disciples had told him. But no one really knew what to believe after Jesus died. Did they misunderstand when Jesus told them that I'm going to be killed and I'll return on the third day? Clearly, the disciples were quite unsure about what just happened to their teacher, what just happened to our rabbi, what just happened to this man that we've been following along for the last few years. Now, we often get troubled by Thomas's reaction of, unless I touch his body and the holes in his hands, I'll never believe. In other words, I've got, I've, I've got to see for myself, I've got to touch, I've got to know. And we get troubled, and this is where Thomas gets his nickname, Doubting Thomas. But we forget this idea that John, who authored his gospel, obviously, which, by the way, John always refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loves. Does that not sound a little narcissistic to anybody else? No, just me? you want to laugh? I can't laugh at that. But we forget that John, who authored his gospel just a little bit before this sequence here in chapter chapter 20, verse 8, says that he and Peter ran to the tomb where Jesus was buried. And it wasn't until they both looked inside and saw the missing body. When they saw, they believed. They had to see it too. They had to see it for themselves as well. It wasn't just a matter of taking someone's word for it. They had to go and see. Doubt creeps into Thomas's mind. Yes, he probably thinks his friends are delusional. Maybe he even thinks they're lying to him. I don't know exactly. But ultimately, Thomas just needs to know the truth for himself. The truth is that doubt creeps into all of our minds from time to time as well. All of us have doubts that creep in. We doubt something that maybe Jesus said. Maybe we doubt something in the Bible. Maybe we doubt what's happening in our world, in our own little world. Doubt doesn't mean that you've lost your faith. Doubt doesn't mean that you've forsaken God. And doubt doesn't mean that you've rejected all you've seen and heard. Throughout our People of Crisis series, we want to examine ourselves to see how often, just how often we are in very similar situations as our characters that we're talking about. Thomas hears and doubts the words of his friends. Yep, he doubts it. But what he knew he couldn't doubt, what he knew he couldn't doubt, was when he had an encounter with his Savior. Everyone expresses doubt in something from time to time, and it's not a rejection of God's involvement in our situation. It's an understanding that we just don't know for a fact. doubt isn't the opposite or enemy of trust, but at times it actually tests our faith a little bit. I have faith that, you know what, I have faith that despite it that everything is going on in our world right now, I have faith that there will come a day when we see a new normal, that I no longer have to wear this when I go to a store, that I no longer have to worry about seeing my friends when I can just go and live life normally. But I still do it. I still wear. Why? Why? because I know that's my part. I know that's what I've got to do. So I'll do it. I also have faith that God is watching over me and watching over my life. I believe that God is not done with me. I believe that God still has plans and purposes for me. But you know what? I still go get blood work done and visit my oncologist every year. You wanna know why? I just gotta know. Does it mean that I don't have faith? I don't think so. I just need to know. Thomas doubted the word and the testimony of the other disciples but what Thomas needed was an encounter with his savior an encounter with Jesus himself and if you notice Jesus walks into the room where they're all where all of them are, are gathered around and Jesus walked right into an encounter with Thomas with his disciple with his friend and said Thomas look man it's me it's me I'm here it's me. I'm here. Touch. Go ahead. Touch. Go ahead. It's me. Jesus is all about revealing himself, breaking into our sphere of life, meeting the need. And just like all of us are full of doubts at times, Jesus also, or sorry, Thomas was also full of doubt. But Thomas wasn't just always doubtful, it wasn't just all doubt that Thomas expressed. There's also a confidence about Thomas that we sometimes forget about. We read this in John 11, just back a little bit. Then Jesus told them plainly, this is during the the raising of Lazarus from death, before that. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, and so, so that you may believe, let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, twin again. Said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Jesus had been delaying going to visit his friend Lazarus. Messengers came and Jesus, he's, he's dying, he's sick. Come. And just to shorten it, basically, Jesus is like, Not yet. Now we're gonna hang out here. The disciples, Jesus, like, what are you doing? He's our friend. Let's go. No, not yet. In the middle of this little segment, Jesus makes this statement, paraphrased. You know when Jesus says things, you're just kind of like, huh? What do you mean by that? He makes this little statement. If you walk during the day, you won't trip and fall because you'll see the light of the world. But if you walk around at night, it's dark and you'll trip and you'll fall because you don't have any light. Jesus seems to be saying is, I'm reminding them, I'm the light of the world. Stick by me, stay close and you'll be fine. Don't walk around without me. Don't walk around in the dark. Thomas's response is the right one. I'll go with you, even if it means death. Even though life may not be working out how we assumed, even though life may not be going the way we want, we're praying for an outcome, a loved one, a turn of events, whatever it might be, even if praying and following Jesus means you know that it's not going to end well or end the way you want it to. Thomas, even though he shows characteristics of a doubter, yes, shows that he is, in fact, confident at times in following Jesus, ready to follow him to his death. He shows confidence. You and I, we may doubt sometimes, but you know what? We also have confidence at times, times when our faith really shines through. We have times when it looks like things won't turn out, but we just, it's all right, God's got it. Thomas doubted Jesus, yes, but Jesus came through and revealed Himself. But he was also confident in his faith in following Jesus. But also, Thomas Thomas just wanted to know the right answer. He just wanted to know. He just wanted to know the truth, and he wanted to know it for himself. We now arrive at Thomas's inquiry. Jesus is teaching in this famous passage, Jesus is teaching, I go, I'm going to go, but I will go, and I will prepare a place for you, and then I'll come back, and I'll get you, and you'll be with me. And in John 14, 5 to 7, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him in his very famous passage, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Thomas is just honest. He's just brutally honest. He says, "Jesus, I don't, you know, I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but can you show me? Show me the way. Show me how to get there. Show me what to do. I don't really know what you're talking about, but show me. I can only imagine how the disciples may have responded in this entire situation. And I just picture Thomas sitting there watching Jesus teach and just being like, that sounds awesome. Jesus, show me the way. Whatever it is, I don't care. I want to go. Thomas only wanted to hear about and know what Jesus was calling him to do. Jesus, tell me what to do. I'm there. I wish I said that more often in my own life, just being honest. He acknowledged that he simply didn't know, so he just asked the question. Show me, where am I supposed to go? And when he saw what it was that he had to believe, he only wanted to know that that it was the right answer. And after Jesus' resurrection, Thomas refused to believe in its reality unless, yeah, he, he has to touch. His conditions need to be met, which they were when Jesus showed up. And his confession, then his confession when Jesus shows up, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. By the way, Thomas is the first person in John's gospel to use the word God, theos as, it's, as it is in Greek, when referring to Jesus. Jesus. His confession is very explicit. His confession is also very accurate. His confession is very real. Which brings us now to the revealing of resurrection. Thomas had questions like we all have questions. And Jesus didn't shy away from revealing to Thomas the reality of who he was and is instead of condemning instead of condemning rather Jesus intentionally proved it showed up and showed that he had fulfilled exactly what he had promised one small portion of text that we haven't quite covered yet are those last couple verses in John 20 which by the way any bible nerds out there John 20 31 was some scholars believe was actually the original ending of John's gospel, and that he wrote chapter 21 later and added it to his book. Um, and if you read the last couple, cha- or couple verses of both chapter 20 and 21, they're remarkably similar. There's a very similar language being used. But chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Both, the ends of both chapters, both endings announce that Jesus did more miracles. Couldn't even record them all. There's just so many of them, can't even record them all. However, nothing, nothing was recorded just so that we can simply look at it and read, oh, that's a nice story. That's not what it's meant for. It's not meant for us to marvel at and just look at. But the revealing of Jesus through miracles, most importantly, through his resurrection is there so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and have life through him. Christ is revealed by the stretching out of his hands for Thomas to touch. So touch my hands. It's me. I'm here. Feel for yourself. You and I, we, may not, we don't get the opportunity to reach out and touch Jesus and touch the holes in his hands or his feet. But through the record of these miracles, I ask you this. Will you share in Thomas' confession? My Lord and my God. With Thomas's confession of faith, John brings his gospel full circle. John begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, who was that Word? Jesus. Jesus is that Word. Jesus is that God. God is revealing us, revealing to us through his Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus reveals himself to Thomas by inviting him touch and see, look, feel, it's me, I'm here. And God is revealing himself through, revealing himself through different acts today even. I could go around this room and you could go around your room online, at home, wherever you are. And I'm sure you can remember times when you encountered the living God Maybe not physically, but through an act of another person that why would that ever even happen? Through a miraculous turn of events that no one saw coming, through the sense of peace that surpasses all understanding that why, why is this okay now? We are going to inevitably have times of doubt in our life. We will inevitably have times of frustration. We will inevitably encounter times when we want and we need to God to show up in a big way. Philip Yancey in his book, Reaching for the Invisible God, said this, Doubt is the skeleton in the closet of faith. And I know no better way to treat a skeleton than to bring it into the open and expose it for what it is, not something to hide or fear, but a hard structure on which living tissue may grow. I encourage all of you, when doubts creep in, let him reveal himself to you. Take your doubts to him. Don't be afraid to admit when you have doubts. Don't be afraid to talk to God and say, God, I'm struggling here. I don't understand this. I'm doubting you right now. Don't shy away from it. Because sometimes in our biggest doubts, that when, that's when God shows up in the biggest ways. And God certainly is not afraid of your questions or your doubts. I tell my students this all the time. Don't be afraid to ask God questions. He's bigger than that. You're not going to ask him a question and he go like, really? You struggle with that? He's not surprised. He already knows about them anyway. Take your doubts to God. Take your concerns. Take your frustration to Him. We're going to take communion together in just a few minutes. I'm going to invite the band to come back up as well. At home, if, you are, if you're not ready for communion just yet, take a minute now. Go grab some juice or some, and some bread. Um, it doesn't have to be fancy. I think we did apple juice and saltine crackers one uh, a few months ago when we were online. Hopefully, if you're on site, if you're on site at church, if uh, if you've rec- you hopefully you received your communion on the way in. Um, if not, feel free to go grab it right now. Just be very careful. There are two levels to it, so don't want to spill juice all over yourself. I want you to take just a couple of minutes while the band plays. Two minutes. Two minutes, just. Two minutes to be honest with God. Two minutes to be brutally honest with God. Lay it all out there. Hold nothing back. There was a lady at my last church that every Sunday that we saw her, there was just, she just seemed upset every time. And I remember there was one Sunday I went to her and I said, sister, how are you today? And she responded with, God is good. When I finally got up enough confidence to try to prod a little bit more, because that was the same answer every Sunday, I said, no, sister, I know God is good. You don't have to remind me of that. How are you doing? I know God's good. That's, that's, how are you? And you see it on her face, she started to, started to tear up. Not like a full out, you know, crying session in the foyer. But she started to tear up. And the truth was, is that she was struggling a lot. Her and her family had just moved to Canada, and she moved here so her kids could have a better life. And where she was from, she was a pharmacist. She was doing, she, she had a degree in everything, and, and she, that's the field she worked in. And then she moved to Canada, and she was working at a shopper's drug mart. By the way, that's not a bad job at all. You're like one of the frontline workers now, so good for you, honestly. But she was working, and she was just struggling because life was not what she pictured it to be. It wasn't what she expected. She had expectations for this move and for her family and for herself and for her kids, and it just, it wasn't right. And through our conversation, she had confessed and she said, I've never expressed all these troubles to God before. I've been holding it in. So she said, why? You think God doesn't know already? Do you think for a second that God doesn't care? Do you think that any of your doubts are a surprise to him? Maybe you just need to express it. You need to get it out there. Reflect on the time when you doubted. Reflect on times when your faith was was soaring, if you will. God has never been surprised by one of the prayers of his people. He knows your concerns, he knows your doubts. Take a couple of minutes this morning. Ask God to reveal himself to you. Ask God to strengthen your faith in him. Lay it all out there.